Let's lift up the name of the Lord and we'll get all the donut munchers up here to join us. It'll be good. Always lie. 
together to be a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. Isn't God good? <laughs> well, it's so good to be together. My name is Pastor Ben Green, and um, my privilege to welcome you here to Rimrock Church. Maybe you've been here uh, your whole life as part of this community. Maybe you're brand new. Uh, if you are visiting us, we'd love to get to know you. There's little cards in the front of your seat back that uh, would allow us to make contact with you and reach out to you and share a little bit about our ministry here. This is Palm Sunday. This is a significant week for us as followers of Jesus. Jesus declared to the world that he was king uh, 2,000 plus years ago in a most unexpected way. <laughs> he rode in on a, on a donkey, but we believe that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And so coming here this morning in church, um, I want you to know that Jesus is king, not just in a conceptual sense, but in a re real sense that he is here to establish his kingdom in your life. So whether you're struggling this morning, you're facing sickness, you're facing overwhelming circumstances, maybe you're just bored <laughs> at this stage of your life, whatever's happening, Jesus as king is good news for you. <laughs> it's good news for me. And we can stake our lives on that reality that he is king. He's in control. He's all-powerful. He's the creator of the universe, and he's going to set this world right. He's going to make it right. One day he's going to make it right. And that's our trust this morning. Well, this week we have some really uh, special uh, things uh, coming up for us as a, as a church. And this is really to 
to grow in our, in our faith and also to grow in our, in our worship together as, as God's church here. And so Friday, we're going to have a Good Friday a celebration right here in, up here in, in this place at 6.30. And what we're going to do is we're actually going to have baptism. We have six people who have said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And so we don't believe baptism saves us, but we believe baptism is a sign of God's salvation. That he's, he's calling us to be his followers. He's making us into new kinds of people. His death and his resurrection has power to transform our lives. And so six people are going to do that. If you're here this morning and, uh, and God is calling you, you feel that Jesus is calling you to be his follower, and you haven't made that choice to, to be baptized, would you talk to me after the service? And we'd love to have you baptized as well this Friday. And so uh, please come. We're going to have worship. We're going to have testimonies because God is transforming, and we want to hear about the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. It's not, just a, it's not just a religious thing. It's a reality in people's lives. It's a reality in my life. It's a reality in so many of your lives. And so we're going to celebrate that. And then Easter, uh, we're going to be downtown at the Monument so we can be all together. Everyone who's up here on the hill and also downtown, we're going to be all together, one service, 10 a.m. And our goal is just to praise Jesus for his resurrection. It's, it's worth celebrating, right? <laughs> his resurrection, right? It changes everything. And so we're going to come at 10 a.m. Um, and so there's little cards back there. This is a great opportunity to invite someone, maybe a neighbor, a friend, maybe someone you've been sharing Jesus with. And uh, this is an opportunity. We have little invitation cards, and you can invite uh, them to come and join us either Good Friday or for Easter. And so we'd encourage you to take a card and pray about who is God calling us to, to invite and to uh, witness uh, what, what we celebrate with the resurrection. All right, for the prayer this morning as we continue our worship, I've been in Isaiah 55 this past week. It's been ministering to my soul. And I want to share, if you would just close your eyes in prayer as we hear these words. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Isn't that good news? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills will burst in the song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. And instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. And this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Janet reminded me today that 15 years ago, I've been reading through the section of scripture where Jesus does his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on, on the back of a donkey, right? A donkey's colt. And I was thinking about that 
uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I thought, you know, every Sunday we are blessed to come in the name of the Lord. And and uh, I did a word study on that word name, and it just talks about the character of God. And so right during that time, Janet had just finished, I think. I'll help you no, tell her about it. Tell, tell them what happened. Tom, put me on the spot. <laughs> well, just about, you know, how you wrote the words to the, yeah. Well, so 15 years ago, February 7th, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And, um, you know, it's just 40, it was 42, 43 years old. And it was just pretty, pretty startling to know that I was going to walk through that journey. And, but knowing that God was going to be there with me. And um, Tom had asked me, um, I think I was right, it was probably, if it was about this time, we were right in the process of chemotherapy. And Tom had asked me, just what are some ways that God is showing you who he is? And so the bridge to this song, it talks about, you know, how God is kind. His name is kindness. His name is power. Um, he is comfort. He is joy. Um, he's a healer. He's a strong tower. And so Tom added those words to this song.
Thank you again for the music. It's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, we are completing a series that uh, we started three weeks ago. And, you know, it was hard. I know, Ben, we talked about this. And we were talking about those things that easily entangle us and trip us up and hold us back from experiencing all that God had designed. And, you know, we were limited, so we picked three. Uh, that there are definitely way more issues that trip us up than just these three. But uh, we're going to look at the third one today. But I, I want us to go back and... Uh, I, <clears throat> I, have you guys... How many of you have tried that thing called the magic eye, where you look and it's got all of these kind of designs, and if you stare long enough, uh, then you, all of a sudden a picture comes out of it? Yeah. I've had a lot of people that said, I've just never been able to get into that. But if you look at this picture long enough and you stare at it and you kind of get a little daisy, all of a sudden this picture comes out. And not long ago, I was uh, reading the Word and I said, you know, the, I think the Scriptures are a lot like the magic eye. Uh, there's a lot of things that we read that are kind of the letters of the law and all the words and all the religious uh, things that have been so misrepresenting Christ. 
But when we look long enough and we pierce long enough and we settle ourselves and rest, it's almost like something comes out of the scriptures. They come alive. They begin to be living. And, uh, and so I, my encouragement and our encouragement as we even end today, and I will hit on it again, is there is nothing, nothing I could ever encourage you more than to sometimes get alone, look into this picture of the word of God, let God begin to speak to you. It will come alive to you. The picture will come out for you. And I promise you, when it comes alive to you, it is so much different than somebody saying, can't you see the little boat in the picture? It comes alive, and pretty soon it takes up residency in you, and it has this powerful ability to pierce into your soul and create change and let you reflect the image that God designed for you to reflect. So I st I'm going to start out by making sure that I encourage you that you alone can get in the Word. You don't need somebody else to go ahead and explain it to you. We basically talk to you up here, and not so much that you have to come and hear us. What we're trying to do is lay out for you that what we're telling you we got from being in the Word, and you have the same capacity if you have come to know Christ. So we're going to start uh, just by looking, re-looking at the verses that we picked. And uh, some of this will be repetitive. I think it's uh, absolutely okay and encouraging to be repetitive. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to look at verses 12, or 1 through 3. Now, uh, I know Ben said this. I think Nick said this. We start out by therefore. And remember the big thing, if there's a therefore, look at reason why is it therefore. What, what is happening before this? And you have just heard the story of all these saints and all these people that they call it kind of the, the hall of fame of faith and these names that were written in there that God was bragging on and God was boasting on these people. Uh, I think when we look through Judges, we saw a lot of these people in here. And, I, and let's just stop for a little bit and just look at these people that were in the Hall of Fame uh, were misfits, the majority of them. They messed up big time. And, and so there's hope for us in this. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping it says that these people that were, the word there says that the, the world is not worthy to even mention their names. The world's not worthy of some of these people, but they were witnesses. They were witnesses to proclaim something so that you and I also could join in to this. They were our witnesses and that we could also join in. So that's kind of where it starts here. And it says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also, also lay aside every encumbrance and the sins that so easily entangle us and let us run with endurance. Uh, that's an interesting part. My, my sister Marcy said that when she studied that, uh, I like the wording there. It says that, uh, it says that we, we run with endurance the race that's set before us. That means that God has marked us out in your unique individualism. You're individually unique, and he has set something for you. Colossians, or Ephesians uh, 2 says that, uh, for we are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. Somehow, each one of us in this place, God has marked out something unique for you to reflect who God is, to reflect him in a way that nobody on this planet can reflect the unique way that you're going to reflect God. But the problem is we get tangled up. And we have all these sins that easily betangle us. And in a world today, 
And in a media, social media world today, wow, you can't do anything without all of a sudden being bombarded with something that's promising you something that it can't deliver. And yet we, we, we still look at it, but it easily entangles us. But it says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. My encouragement for you is that in some of the things you're going to walk away with in the last three things, that you won't grow weary in doing good. I promise you there is something awaiting each of us in here as we look at it. Now, if we're going to go back, first, first, uh, first John, I think it's uh, is it 2.15, love not the world, nor are the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. These kind of uh, encapsulate all of these different things. The first week, Ben talked about this whole uh, food and drink and alcohol and all the things that that can, can, uh, can be turned into something unhealthy. But you'll notice that all of these that we're going to talk about are actually designed by God, absolutely wanting to be enjoyed with God, and yet somehow we put them before God, and so we basically replace what God wanted to do so that our life and our joy and our comfort would come from God rather than from this whatever, food or, or alcohol or whatever it is. Ben went in, I think he talked about this whole deal of comfort. Uh, when, we, when we get to where we're uncomfortable or in a world full of a lot of anxious things that come and we're getting nervous and anxiety's coming on us, that we, rather than the Holy Spirit, who God says, I'm going to give you the comforter who will come and be with you and be inside you, we turn to something other than that. A bad day, a hard day, a long day, and uh, we're waiting for four, four o'clock. It's four o'clock somewhere, uh, and we want to get and have something that will give us this comfort. And we long for this, and whether it be certain types of foods or certain types of drinks or whatever it might be, we run to this, and it entangles us. It robs us. We, we no longer can enjoy what this that was designed by God for us to enjoy at the, at the way it was supposed to be enjoyed. I think Ben then went into this uh, selfish security that we get, and, and it's the same type of a deal. Is a selfish security means God loves that we're secure, but he wants us to be secure in him, that he is our security. It not even says put your, your, secure, your trust in him. He is your security, but we begin to kind of hoard things, and we begin to say, okay, I want my security. And, and so over and over, we try to go ahead and, and somehow get secure by our own efforts. We look at what God has blessed us to, in our wealth or in our possessions, and rather than let those be open-handed to whatever God wants, we, we put rails and barbed wire around them, and we keep our nest egg because that's what our security is in. And that will entangle you. It will trip you up. And the reason we say this is I get so many people that say there's something missing in my Christian life. I, I want something. There's something that's not there. And yet we won't be able to take these things off that entangle us. Now, 
having wealth and having uh, all these different things and food and drink and stuff, if you'll look in, in the scriptures and even in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes that we studied, God's wanting to lavish us with these things. He wants to be the one that you, he even says, I'll try me and I'll open the windows of heaven and I'll start raining on you these things until you're going to have to run to escape from them. He wants to bless you as long as that has not become your God and your idol. So uh, Ben then talked about the, uh, what was it, the selfish uh, con consumerism, yes. And wow, is that amazing anymore with the social media and going online and all these kind of things. It's, and it's, uh, it reminds me of the proverb where it says that, that the person had two uh, daughters, give me, give me. And it's like, it's, I can't get enough, I can't get enough, I can't get enough. And it's amazing when you go and you get something and it's really cool and then you turn around and you've, they're showing you something that's cooler. And so you want to throw this away and go for that. And, and it's so easy because of the comparisons that we have today. And then Nick and Sherry did a great job last week, a very sensitive topic on sex. And the thing that I think was interesting is that what we are left with is this is a design to reflect the unity and oneness with God in you, and that God gave us this incredible ability, and over and over they emphasized the purpose of this was oneness, was the unity, the oneness that God wants, that Jesus says, I want you to know that as the Father and I are one, you and I can be one, and that you guys can be one, just as we were one. There's a unity and a oneness that was reflected in that. Uh, they touched on what's God's design for that, and that God doesn't design something to be prudish and have you hide from something. God designed something because it was why, how he designed it, and it's the greatest joy that you can have. And sometimes I think in that topic, there, is a, there was kind of a trick that God pulled. He said, just by the way, this passion that burns inside you, okay, and that can be just a desire to be wanted, it can be desire that you, from the lust of the flesh, it could be anything. He said, uh, it is the very flame of God, and no amount of money can buy it away, and no amount of water can distinguish it. So they pointed that you're not going to get rid of this by just trying to say, okay, I won't think about it, I won't think about it, I won't think about it, but that it needs to be redirected in the right place, that those desires and that burning passion inside you was be directed towards God first so that God could then rightfully let you display it in his creation. And so once again, it brought you back to the trust in God. And they left with something that I think is powerful for all of these talks, and it says that, God is the only one that can fulfill these, that these things we're talking about. And so he says, so learn to walk in the Spirit, and then you won't carry out these desires of the flesh, whether they're the lust for money, the lust for wealth, or what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about this whole thing of image. And, and, and I think it's really related to the boastful pride of life. Let's, let's at least go back and see how this happens. Way back in the beginning, when God created man and woman, he created them 
to be inhabited by God himself, that God would take up residency within man, and you had man inhabited by God, so had total union, total oneness, and they would walk to this earth and enjoy this earth and carve path through earth, and they would reflect the image. They were called image bearers. They were made in the image of God, and so they would reflect. So if Ben looked at me and I was doing it properly, I would be bearing the image of God to him, and it would draw him to that image. And that's why Jesus says to Peter, when Peter, I mean, when uh, Philip said, just show us the Father, Jesus, and we'll be satisfied. And he said, oh, Philip, I've been with you this long and you still don't comprehend. He that has seen me now sees the Father, for the Father and I are one. I'm the exact representation of the Father. You see me, you see the Father. And then he tells us that we are going to have the capacity to bear the image of Christ by being image bearers. But man decided that they could be men apart from God, and they chose to act independent of God by choosing to do something that he said not to do because they said the moment you do, you will basically die spiritually. We will be separated. So therefore, it says in Scripture from that day on, every human being, all of you and all of you uh, little children that you have or those that are carrying child right now, that child is going to be born empty. There's something about you that was born empty. And yet in your life and my life, God put a desire in our heart to somehow be filled. We were made to be filled. So in this emptiness that we have, we come into this earth, every single person that I have ever talked to in my office in 40-some years is looking for this to be filled. And they're longing. And we all have different strategies and ways that we kind of try to put this puzzle of life the best we know how. So you've got a cute little daughter, and she's just gorgeous little thing, and sweet as can be, and people come by and say, oh my gosh, what a cute little thing. And that little girl feels that and slowly begins to put this puzzle together that, wow, value and worth come from being noticed, and I get noticed by how cute I am. So it's really cute when they're little. It's in strangling, entangling as, it get, as you get older. Because now all of a sudden, that which they were pursuing begins to lord over them. And pretty soon, they can't go out and do anything without basically thinking how often they think of what they look like. I asked some people in my office one time that were struggling with body image, and I asked this lady, and I said, on a given day, uh, you're awake you know, so many hours, what percentage would you say that your mind is occupied with either what you're wearing, what you look like, what you're going to eat, your nutrition, or what your exercise is going to be, or what your calorie count is going to be? I said, just give me kind of an estimate. I was startled. I said, 85% of my time is spent in my mind on that. So I asked a number of other people real close. Look at what entangles you when we get entangled in that thing. We have people that, it's, if it's not that, sometimes it's wealth. It's, you know, it's everything I'm thinking about is, what can I earn? What can I take? What's, what's the best decision? What should I do with my money? Where should I save my money? Oh, no, it's the stock market dropping. And they're consumed. Some of it is hunting. <laughs> Since it's the masters today, some of it is golfing. And now we get to bet on it, they say. Okay, uh, it can be children. I was at a track meet this week, uh, 
great track meet, and it was one of the days we had sun, and I'm sitting there at Spearfish and watching, and it was so incredible to watch. I am amazed, in my, to be honest with you, one of the funnest things I could ever do if I was to watch is to watch flat-out runners that are fast. Number one, they didn't get there by anything but God giving them speed. Now, they can say about they did, but God gave them speed, and that's what makes them fast. And I was watching this, and you could tell where their parent was during the track meet. And I, it's just good to root on your kids and stuff. And it's good to root on my, my granddaughter was there and she was in things. But there's a tendency that because of image and I want to have image, that sometimes I'll look to get image out of how well my children are doing. It's like, attaboy, did you see who scored that goal? Okay. And, and, then, we, and, then, and then we have this false, this false humility. No, I'm not going to brag about my kid scoring the goal, but I am sure hoping you tell the people that he scored the goal. Okay. I, this is embarrassing. I, I've, I've often said up here, uh, confession's good for uh, your reputation, but it's bad for your image sometimes. But I, I, when I would play baseball, and if I had a really good game, and I maybe broke a record or something like that, and I hit a home run. Now today, if people hit a home run, you can tell who hits it, because they're running, and they're cheering like this around, and you know, doing all their different things around the bases. Well, that wasn't me. See, I was humble. I would just go around the bases and not say anything, and I would not come out of the dugout to take my hat off. I would just stay in the dugout. Outside, that's what it looked like. Inside, I was sure hoping somebody would brag about me. And it's like when you were talking at night, well, we had a game, and I'm hoping they'll say something. So it was no different. It was just a camouflage false humility. And why? Because I learned in my neighborhood that if I could get noticed, I was noticed by being good in a sport. And if I was good in a sport, then my value and my image began to be solid there. It never was solid. It absolutely entangled me. It, it, it would it block my mind in all kinds of ways of hearing the things of God. We could keep going on. There's a whole bunch. We can talk about music. Uh, oh, and who wrote that song? Let's put the name on. I go to places and there's people that donate to nonprofit corporations. And I think it's awesome that we thank people that do that. And we, we thank them that they were responsive to God. But now we put up names and put their plaques up so that they can have their names up there. And they don't give if they don't get the plaque. You see, that's what happens with image. Now let me pause here for a minute. Again... I believe, just like the other things in the scripture, image is really, really awesome. It said, blessed is those that have a good name. You should desire a good name more than riches and honor. God talks about uh, letting your name be known so that it would be remembered through the ages. Having a good image is okay. We were designed to be image bearers. So to be an image bearer means that you are going to somehow, people are going to look at you and they're going to be drawn to you. They're going to be attracted to you because you bear the image of God. Now I know each of these has a little slippery line in it and image is something that I want to pause for a minute and, and, and take a break from this is God designed you to know that God made you, carved you uniquely, you, nobody like you, no other fingerprint in ever existed that is yours, 
and you have the ability to reflect his image, and we ought to proudly carry ourselves that way. I feel that you ought to dress well. I feel that you ought to go ahead and, and look well. I feel that you ought to represent yourself well. I think that, that you ought to have the greatest sense of humor, because humor is attractive. God's going to have a, he still has, a great sense of humor. We ought to smile more often. You're not being hypocritical if you don't smile. Well, if you're miserable and horrible, well, guess what? God's, basically, you're still the image bearer of God. You have the ability to reflect God in ways that nobody else ever has before. So, Ben, the way you reflect him, will, I will see a part of God I never could see in this planet. And if you withhold it, somehow you rob me of that. So with that in mind, we're not knocking image. We're just telling you that if you get your life from and you put image as your God, then pretty soon now it does the opposite thing. It entangles you and it represents poorly who God is. If there's ever been a, a field that has so misrepresented God, to me it is not the got to be careful with some of these words, but we talk about this far-left liberal field that's just all off. It is these people that have held to a form of godliness, and then they're trying to reflect God to a people when they don't even know God themselves, and he's a God of law and condemnation and religion, and we have falsely represented him. I, there's a quote. I'll mess this quote up, but I, I, I love the quote. C.S. Lewis made a comment, and he said, nothing will ruin a party like those arguing over issues of doctrine and arguing over issues, issues of, of faith than the legalist. And their legalist is basically saying, if you can do this and do this and do this, God will like you. If you don't do this and don't do this and don't do this, God doesn't like you. And that is absolutely bizarre. Uh, last two weeks ago, uh, Nick and I went to a place, and there was a guy that asked if we'd come and talk to a group that was seven men around a table. And so it was a round table visiting. And it was intimidating a little bit of just uh, where they were and what they had done and stuff. And we weren't sure what and how we were going to talk or re represent God. And the first night we got done, we said, well, I don't know. I hope it had some impact. I hope, it, I hope we reflected God in some way. And they came back in the morning, and I said, any thoughts over last night? And one of the most awesome compliments came from one of the guys. He said, yeah. He said, I, I was absolutely taken by your usage of Scripture in all of your conversations. Because I had never heard scripture applied in a loving, gracious way. I've only heard scripture in a condemning way. It gave me hope that this was a God that was kind and good. And we never, that wasn't our intent. It just was part of that came out. So scripture says, now that you understand that, let, here's, it says, a good name should be more precious as a precious ointment. Let another praise you, not your own mouth. Let it be a stranger, not your own lips. It's not good to eat much honey, nor is it a glory to seek out your own image and your own glory. Here's one that I know well, and I don't know if, Ben, you assigned this to me because you knew it, Kate. Sometimes 
I can bend towards this, but we have a saying, and uh, I don't know who started it, Marcy or Joe, but it's called relational idolatry. And relational idolatry is basically putting somebody in a place that only God should be. It's replacing somebody with where God is. Let me give you a picture. Let's say that my wife, I want her to be so happy because if I have a happy wife, I'm happy. Well, and so my wife would only be happy if the kids were happy. So now I had to control not only my wife, I had to control all my kids' behavior because my kids had to be happy, so my wife was happy. And, and what would be happening to me is in, in doing things and saying things, I could no longer be sensitive to where Proverbs says that I want to put a compliment in your heart because it rightfully belongs to somebody. I couldn't hear that because I was so busy hearing what Nancy's response would be. And I wanted to keep her happy. So I could never give her what was truthfully something she might need, even if it was hard for her to hear, because I could not afford that. So rather than listening, God, what are you wanting me to say? I was so tuned in to how will this make her feel. Anybody relating to this? Now you can do it with your kids. You're frightened your kids are they're going to go crazy. They're, they're going to leave. Something's going to happen to them. So now you've got to be careful. You can't see them. So that is also in terms of relational idolatry. It's putting somebody in the place of where God only belongs. We want to be noticed. We're not any different than the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Remember, they, they would throw their money into the... the uh, giving account, and they would use the coins that were heaviest, and they'd make a lot of noise that would cling, and people would look over at them to see who threw that much money in. It says they did it so they could be noticed. And I, lo- and I love what God said. He said, they got their reward. They got noticed. But if you'll do it the way I've designed you to do it, he said, I'll reward in secret beyond anything you can imagine. Whatever that might mean, God gets to be the definer of that. An image... It comes in lots of different ways. It can come in body image. It can come in image of uh, your abilities, your intellect. It can come in all kinds of ways. You need to pause and think, where is it that I somehow draw my image from? What is it that somehow I am so protective of my image? Here's, there's a song that actually some of the words were there, and both Nick and uh, Sherry and uh, Ben alluded to this. I want to challenge you in something. Let God be the protector of your reputation. And whatever image he wants to display through you, I promise you will be the best image you can imagine, and it will be what you've been searching for all along. He says, let God be the, the protector of your reputation. I wrote this down, and I said, he is not going to cheat you. I, I assure you, he will not cheat you. And if you don't believe me, go back 2,000 years just before, just after Palm Sunday, and you'll see him hanging on a cross, looking in your eyes because of the hope that was set before him, that somehow he was going to hang there so that he could come and dwell with inside you and let you bear the image that he designed you to be. If you will walk and you will lay down some of these things that are entangling, we're going to show you in a minute how to do that, I promise you he won't cheat you. He even says your reputation, he said, I will be the defender of your reputation. For it's not the one who commends himself who's approved, but the one who the Lord commends is, and that's in 2 Corinthians. 
He is the rewarder of those that will seek him. When I have met people that have actually learned to do this and take down these things that entangle them and have decided, you know what, God, you're in charge of my image. And, and by the way, uh, those of you that are, are getting my age or like that, it's not sometimes that we are so wise. We just figured out that our way never did work. It never did work. And every effort we did, it just wore us out. And, and image isn't all that it's cracked up to be. But if you'll go ahead and say, God, I want to be a displayer of your image, uh, you take care of whatever I look like. He even says in Proverbs, if you'll do this, he said, you'll find pleasure and the sight of God and men also. God will be in charge of your reputation. And you don't have to be. But to do so, I think there's some things you need to lay aside. And I'm going to challenge you. I don't know what God's going to tell you personally, but I do know this. Whatever it is that your image is, you are getting bombarded by social media and by all of the stuff that you take in. I would challenge you to at least get before God and say, God, how long do you want me to fast from this for just a while? Social media. <gasps> I'll miss out. I'll miss out on the tweets. I'll lose the amount of people I have hits. I promise you, you might win way more by just shutting it off for a while. Now, if God doesn't tell you to do it, don't worry about it. But sometimes there's a laying down of something. Ben talked about fasting, that sometimes you can fast from food just to tell God, no, God, I want you more than I want any of this. You are what I want to be. Like and Sherry talked about walking the spirit and, and basically seek that rather than that of the sexual area. I believe in image, there's some things you can do, and I think one of the things is, uh, Paul says that we've done that which evil, we began to compare ourselves with ourselves, and you can't not compare yourself if you're continually on that machine, and it's telling you what you don't have and what you could be if you would have it. I saw people in, in very, very high places that literally their life was so consumed with how many hits they have, and they, they were trying to measure until they got to where it said, well, well there's somebody we got to be better, and then they get more hits, and they get more hits, until the only guy that I think was above them was, who's the basketball player? What? Yeah, Ron James had the most hits, but they were going for it, and they were going to try to do it, and it was consuming them. And their life and their value and their image was based on how many hits they were getting back. And the only way they were going to find victory is to say, you know what, I'm checking out of this game for a while. So I ask you to consider that. If your body image and it's your appearance, <clears throat> this is hard, and especially for you girls, because this world tells you that's where your value is, go out and limit yourself to only 20 minutes of makeup and clothes. No longer. You can't do more than that, just for a while. Now, it's okay to go look good, but sometimes can you just go without throwing on the makeup? Okay, say, you know what? I can. Guys, in your vehicle you're driving. Can you take the old beater when you head to that real popular place? I've had people that said, I can't, I can't go because I can't drive that car because it's broken down, so I can't go. I've had people that said, what about the tennis shoes? They're big now, these tennis shoes. What are they? You can buy tennis shoes now for a thousand bucks. Okay. Just ask. I don't know what it's going to be, but just ask God. 
Okay, here's, oh my, okay, we're going to do this. Listen really fast. <clears throat> I believe that every one of us, and, I, and I've heard this numerous times, I've seen the results of it numerous times, I've heard it explained in numerous ways. About two and a half weeks ago, my younger sister sent me a, a talk by uh, a guy, Louis Giglio, who had a talk on uh, just what it means to basically renew your mind. And the illustration he used was there was a study over in England that they showed chemically in your brain they could see what happened in your brain when thoughts were in your brain. And they would follow a dark pattern down your brain. If they then talked about other things, there'd be different places, but once they came back to that thought and they looked at it and you thought that thought again, it would follow that same path down until pretty soon that path became entrenched and very deep. And the deeper it became, the more that your mind would begin to go down that path and go down that path and go down that path and, and create a wide, wide road. And it's almost like this is what you heard. And in order for us to change, it says we have got to somehow change that thought from going down that road. And so the only way that that can happen is we have to start a new road. And, and this is what we're asking you to do with these talks that we've done is unless you go ahead and start tearing down those things and putting a new thought that gets in there, and that new thought has to be repeated. And that's what the word says. Be you continually, continually renewing your mind. Put new thoughts down your road, and those are from something from the Word of God that you have heard that you're fighting with, against. So let's say that you have, you, you just can't get over your messed up life and the things that you did wrong, and you continually say, oh, I'm just such a loser. Cannot believe I did this. I cannot believe I hurt this. And that's starting these little pathways down your brain, and it continues and continues and continues. Now all of a sudden, you don't even have to think it automatically goes right there and goes down there. You will not be able to take off that that entangles you until you somehow start a new path. And so you have to go ahead and say, like this morning, my, this, the psalm I read this morning, let's say you're just condemning yourself and you're beating yourself up and you are going through and repeating and repeating those things in your mind and you're building highways and you'll never reflect the image of God because you're, re you're reflecting that which you believe you are. It says, oh, I wait, I wait long for the Lord. Lord, who should ever, if we marked iniquities, none of us could stand. But you, with you, there is pardon and forgiveness and never remember him again. So my soul's going to wait for you. In your word, I'm going to hope. My soul waits for you more than a watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than a watchman for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord for with the Lord there is continual loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption and freedom. So then I take that thought, and I say, okay, I am going to start that path down every morning. I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to write that scripture down on my mirror. I'm going to put it in my a card or something, and I'm going to say, God, I no longer am going down that path. You paid the, the price, and when you hung on that cross, and you looked at me, and you said, Bill, it is finished. Paid in full, never held against you again. So I want you to know that your hope should be in me and my loving kindness and my redemption and that you are now delightful in my sight. I find pleasure when I see you. I'll never hold this against you. Can you repeat that for 30 days? And I promise you when you do, it will start the path. Some of you out here have the 
privilege, and I've been able to do this. I'm reading this every single day, and it's not that I get to smarter at it. It's just that pretty soon my pathways are this now. So when the enemy comes and tells me something horrible, I have just been bombarding myself with these things so that my path is going to be thick. So I ask you to do this when you leave is say, what is it the image that you've got that's entangling you, and what is it that you need to somehow lay down before God for a season, and then he'll give it back how he wants to give it back. But I would ask you to say, okay, what is the pathway that I am going to go ahead and start anew? And I'm going to do it every single day for 30 days and just see what happens to you. And give testimony to somebody when God begins to do what he desired to do. Okay, we have communion today, and communion, a lot of times, we have made this something that I don't think it was intended to do, but God says, whenever you eat, whenever you drink, which is what? Every day, do this in remembrance of me, what I did for you. So the things that we have talked about here, when you take this, know that God is telling you to continually be reminded well, he told us to do it corporately so that we would remind ourselves to do it privately. So today we're going to go ahead and corporately take from these elements. We can have the elders come up here. And we're going to go ahead, and when you take this, and when you go ahead and eat from the, the bread and drink from the juice, uh, Know that you're going to do it in remembrance of what God has done for you and that he has accomplished that and you no longer need to do it yourself. Remember that in your prayer as you do that. Okay? We can pass out the elements. When they get it, I'll come. Keep them for a second, and we'll all take them together.
Together they took the bread, and he reminded them, says, this is reflective of my body, which has been ripped apart, will be ripped apart for your sake. Do it in remembrance of me. Then he held up the drink, and he said, this represents the blood that was poured out for you, and that blood that I would shed on the cross would be victory for you. And ever you drink, do it always in remembrance of me. Let's stand and sing that chorus to I Believe uh, one time together. Sing. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Amen. Don't forget to grab some of those cards to hand out to invite people to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. God bless you.